two roads diverged in a yellow wood. I'm sorry I could not travel both and be one travel long I stood. I looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. I shall be telling this with a sign. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by. And that has made, that has made all the difference. I don't know, maybe it was sixth grade for you, junior high for you, maybe a freshman in high school where you had to stand before your English class as you walk through Probably one of the most f- familiar poems in uh, American literature, at least, Robert Frost. I had to stand before my class and recite this. I, I think it was Miss Moore's class, maybe around the eighth grade. We all had to do it. There was a sense in which it was an appropriate time. Maybe some of you did it earlier. But there, there's a sense in which the, the words of this poem are words that are familiar to, to someone that's 13, 14, and 15. A, a lot of poetry needs to be seasoned with, with life and reflection. But there is something for, for someone in their teenage years that has seen roads before them and, and that fork in the road decisions that they have to make. Who are going to be their friends? What will they do on the weekend? More than that, what will they not do on the weekend? Two roads, which one will you choose? You choose the road less traveled by, and that makes all the difference. About 2,000 years before Frost would pin these words, there were two other roads that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. If you're visiting with us, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, and this whole year we've been reflecting upon the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We have one more sermon next week in the Sermon on the Mount. But this Sunday, we're guided by Jesus's words in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13, that talk about the roads that we will choose to travel down and how not only will they make a difference in our todays, but how the roads that we choose to travel down will make a difference in the tomorrows of the eternity to come. Which road are you choosing to travel down? Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 reads, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, verse 20, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Four images. Four images successfully given to us with, with great clarity that remind us of, of two opportunities that we have in this life that have implications not only in our earthly life but in the eternity to come. Notice in this passage here, there are two paths that are entered in by two different gates. There's a narrow path that leads to life, not only life in our todays, but in the life of our tomorrows and eternity to come. And there's another path, which is a broad path, and it leads to destruction. But notice there's not a third path. Not a fourth path, fifth path, sixth path that all lead to the same destination. But Jesus makes this clear. There are two different paths, narrow, broad, leads to destruction, leads to life. There are two teachers. And not all the teachers are teachers that teach the truth. They gives great clarity to a false teacher and a false teacher that comes in sheep's clothing, but ultimately leads down the wrong path. How will you know the difference between these two teachers? A good teacher, a bad teacher, a true teacher, a false teacher? Well, you'll know it by two different trees. You have a healthy tree, you have a diseased tree. You have a healthy tree that produces good fruit. You have a diseased tree that is barren. And ultimately, you will know them by their fruits. Two gates, two paths, two teachers, two trees. And in many ways, the, the teaching of Jesus is so utterly counterculture. Frankly, inside of the church and outside of the church, there is something about Jesus's clarity in these images that make us say, huh, only? Only two? Jesus teaches us in this passage here that not all paths lead to heaven. Notice again in the passage, there's, there's one gate that is a narrow gate and that leads to life and only a few find it. Now, we don't want to overinterpret this because there's a broad gate. Many travel down it. Jesus isn't saying, hey, there's only this many people that can find their way to eternal life and the few is defined by this number. Notice what Jesus is saying here. He is saying, you do not have to be nurtured. In the broad path, we will by our nature, we will by our nurture, we will be prone to wander. We will be prone to the broad path. It, it, isn't, it isn't a road that we have to consciously choose. It is a road that we will by default choose to travel down. And even as followers of Jesus, there is still the temptation to the broad road. Many We'll travel down the broad road. 
Jesus in this passage here is real clear to tell us that that broad road leads to a destination and that destination is destruction. The narrow road leads to a narrow destination and that destination is abundant life. Obviously, Jesus is talking eternally, but there is temporal elements to this. There are eternal consequences and earthly consequences. What do I mean by that? Well, when Jesus talks about the destination of the broad road that leads to destruction, that destruction is a place, and it is a place called hell, an eternal separation from a holy and good God. But hell doesn't begin at our final breath. When we follow the broad road, there are hellish consequences this side of heaven. And if anyone in this room denies that, just think in your own life. Think what occurs when a life is given to me, myself, and I. When we are hell-bent on making our will be the primary thing in our marriage, in our workplace, in our neighborhood, there are destructive consequences that occur in our own life. God's word confirms what we experience. There is a lack of peace. There is a lack of tranquility. There is chaos oftentimes that ensues when we decide that I'm going to be the final arbiter of truth in my life. And what I desire is going to be what guides me. We can see the consequences of those decisions in our own life and in the lives of those that we love. Also, on the same way, there is the destination of the narrow path that leads to a place called heaven, an abundant life with him. But guess what? Heaven begins in the heart of any follower of Jesus because heaven is going to be the place where we are confirmed and conformed perfectly into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. But that conforming, it begins in your life and in my life as we're being conformed, not into the image of the world, but being conformed into the image of Jesus. So there there are ways in which that this broad life and this narrow path, they enter into our life now and our life to come. Now what Jesus is saying is, is that you and I have decisions to be made on earth that have earthly consequences and eternal consequences. And they are not a multitude of options that we have. Two paths with two different destinations. Now, what would be easier to say with our cultural moment is that every path that you choose to travel down will get you to a good place. You want to get from here to Fairhope? Well, you can go this way, you can go that way, but there are different ways and you can still get to Fairhope. You want to get from here to Huntsville, you can go this way and you can go that way, but you can still get there. It might be longer ways, back roads, not taking the interstate, but you can get to the same destination. And so it is in our cultural moment, the temptation of the cultural wind as believers is to say, do we believe the prevailing narrative of our culture that we're all on one side of the shore, And our goal is to get to the other side of the shore. And there are all kinds of different boats. So if the boat of Christianity works for you, then great. If the boat of your good works works for you, then great. If the boat of another world tradition and world religion works for you, then great. But who am I to judge anyone's boat? It all gets me to the other shore. And here comes Jesus. Because all of us in this room... 
I, as a pastor, would love to tell others that I love and have friendships with who believe other traditions, world traditions, that really are antithetical to what Jesus is saying. I would love to say, you got your boat, I got my boat. But what Jesus says is there's two paths. And ultimately, what Jesus is saying is, yes, there are different boats, but there's only one boat that is seaworthy. And that is the boat of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. We, we, we just sung this. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's no other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. All of us in this room, me, my children, your grandchildren, you, will have to say, what do we believe? We don't have to believe it in a, in a mean way. We don't have to believe it in this ferocious way that pushes people away. But we ultimately have to say, what is truth? Is truth objectively found in the word of God that comes not from my consensus and even my preference or is truth something that I lick my finger and I hold it up and see which way the wind is blowing and as soon as I find the cultural wind and which way it is blowing that is truth to me and so Jesus comes and he says there's two gates and they are two paths and there are two teachers and there are two trees and one leads to destruction and one leads to life. So the question is for me and for you to ask, do we believe this script that we've been given? Do we believe in the sufficiency of it, the inspiration of it? Do we believe that the author and perfecter of our faith has given us something that is not open to our Revision, amendments, but rather our adherence to it. Do you believe the Bible's teaching that there's only one path to eternal life? Because if we do not believe that, let's bring the missionaries home. If there are multiple ways to a saving relationship to God the Father, why send people to the othermost parts of the earth? Why send people to Poland? We got a group coming back from Poland because we believe there is the way, the truth, and life, and his name is Jesus. We had a group in Southeast Asia. Why did we send that group there? Because we believe that there is the way, the truth, and the life, and his name is Jesus. Why has this church for 95 years committed to send people across the world in prayer and going and in giving? Because we believe that there is a person, and he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And if we do not believe that, then we need to revise our budget. We need to think first and foremost about the safety of missionaries, never put them in a place where they could come into harm's way. But we do believe this, and our practice leads us to what we believe, and the Word of God is the grounding of what we believe. There are different paths, but not all paths lead to heaven. But more than that, this is a conversation with in the church. What do I mean by that? 
Well, as soon as we start thinking that he is just talking about those who are outside a, a Judeo-Christian worldview, all of a sudden he begins to talk about, well, he begins to talk about those who would profess with their mouth and do with their hands religious activity, which leads us from God's word to be reminded that not all religious activity leads to heaven. Notice how the analogy transitions. The analogy transitions from a gate and it transitions from a path. And all of a sudden now we're with trees and we are with sheep and we are with wolves. And what he's saying here is very clear that you can travel down roads where there are trees that ultimately have decay and disease and the fruit is barren. And so he gives us that analogy to say that there are teachers who profess to teach the truth of God's word, but ultimately he warns us that not all who say that they are prophets are those that are leading one down the road to the narrow path. There can be teachers that are wolves in sheep's clothing. How do we know the difference? Well, we know the difference by their fruit. Now, this is a warning. This is a warning to me as the pastor who stands before you. This is a warning to all of our life group leaders in this room. But really, it is a warning to any of us that open our mouth and talk about what God's word teaches. So any parent that's in this room, we all know the temptation to say at times, do not as I do, but do as I say. And what Jesus is warning us all all of us, this pastor first and foremost, all of us will fall short. We need a savior. We're not that savior. So all of us will fall short, but there can be a time where the teachers disconnect between what is espoused from his head or her head and what is believed with his or her heart is such a disconnect. And it's so far away from the head to the heart that it is a revelation that there is not true abiding faith. And that can happen. It can happen in your life. It can happen in my life. It can happen in the church. I don't know if you've read this book. It's not a book. I, I almost hate to even bring this up. Uh, it's a book I got a hold of a, a few years ago, and it's got this wonderful title called Salt, Sugar, and Fat. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like a good lunch to me is what that sounds like. Salt, sugar, and fat. It's not a book. It's not a cookbook. I'm going to tell you. It is a book by a journalist by the name of Michael Moss, and it is an expose on the snack food industry. And his premise is simple. That there are men and women in the snack food industry that have, have manufactured through all of the artificial additives, things, and the salt and the sugar and the fat. And it has us as a nation connected to it in addictive ways, and we are dying from it. I was refining the sermon last night. We have good family friends that are staying with us, and I thought the irony of the bluebell ice cream that I was eating with double stuff Oreos while I was sort of thinking of this. So there's a disconnect between what I'm saying and what I actually practice with this. So we all enjoy this kind of food. I mean, there's no denying that we all enjoy this food. There's just one particular point in the book where Michael Moss is interviewing one of the CEOs of the snack food company. 
And it's a real revealing thing about their parental practices. And he is saying that he and his wife have chosen to never allow their children to ever eat any product that is produced by the company that he is the CEO of. You can eat a lot of things, but you cannot eat what we produce. And so what Jesus is saying is, is there can be the temptation in every Christian's life to produce what we are not consuming. To talk, but not live. And what Jesus is saying in this passage needs to be heeded by all of us, that salvation is more than our knowledge of God. Notice in this passage that he, he talks about people who in the end will say, Lord, Lord, but he does not know them. There is head information without heart transformation. And you would have to think that Jesus' half-brother, James, somewhere down the line, heard Jesus say that and said, hey, that's going to be, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a great verse one day when I write an epistle. And in James chapter 2, verse 19, he is channeling his brother Jesus when he says you believe that God is one you do well even the demons believe and shudder so so you can make a hundred on a systematic theology test and still not be a follower of Jesus you you can have head knowledge that never penetrates your heart so Jesus says salvation is more than our knowledge of God, but also salvation is more than just our activity for God. Notice again in the Sermon on the Mount, he hypothetically talks about those in the end days who say, hey, Jesus, I've prophesied. I've driven out demons. I've done miracles. They're standing before the Father with this religious. What? All the things that they've done. They they have a religious portfolio. They have a religious resume of all the things they have done in his name. And what Jesus reminds us of is activity in his name doesn't always equal acceptance of his lordship. That you can do for him and not know him. That your activity for God doesn't always mean an intimacy with God. It is a reminder that there will be people to stand before a holy God in judgment and pull out a religious portfolio and say, God, this is what I have done. For you, I have taught Sunday school for decades. For you, I have been a middle school lock-in chaperone. I've done that. Surely that gets you into heaven. uh, For you, I've sung in the choir. For you, I've been an usher. For you, I've been a deacon. For you, I've preached sermons. For you, I've been a minister. For you, I've been a deacon. For you, I've got perfect attendance badges. And he says, I know you not. Salvation is more than head knowledge. Salvation is also more than just our activity for God. So here is the good news. If you ever thought that Jesus had any hesitation speaking directly to our hearts, this is exhibited A that he has no hesitation to step on all of our shoes. But here is the good news. 
The good news isn't that we have to have this knowledge of him or we have to have this activity and that ultimately gets us down the path. The good news is, is there is a path that leads to heaven and that path is not paved with your good works. That path is not paved with your 100% accuracy in your systematic theology, but that path is paved in your admittance of your sinful condition, your belief in the finished work of the gospel of Jesus Christ and your confession to him. It is when you bow your knee, you repent of self and turn to your Savior. And that is not something that we just do one day, the age of eight, or the age of 10, or the age of 12, or the age of 14, or the age of 16, and we get over. We never get over the gospel. We never move past the gospel. The gospel is what saves us and it is what sustains us. It is what we need not only for our justification but our sanctification. And it is what, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will bring us to him in our glorification. So what Jesus is saying here is less of you and more of me. What Jesus is saying here is the path that leads to heaven is a path that is of true repentance of sin and true confession of your need and bowing before him and saying, not my will be done, but thy will be done. I've never been to Bolivia. I don't know if you've been to Bolivia, but I have a good friend of mine who works here at Dawson, one of our mission interns, Kyle Young, who spent three years in Bolivia, was a teacher there. Just this last six weeks, he was back in Bolivia, and he's told me about El Camino de la Morete. Three years of Spanish in high school, four semesters in college. I should be able to pronounce that better. I'm sorry. But... It's translated the way of death. You go to La Paz and you go down on this street, this road, this path. There's this narrow winding road that descends down 13,000 feet to the edge of the Amazon River. And it is a dangerous path. Look at some of these pictures that we have before you. That's what happens when you meet oncoming traffic. Over 200 to 300 deaths annually occur every year on this path. Last year, 26 vehicles fell off the road of this path. The fog, the rain, the muddy surfaces, they're not guardrails drop-offs, there's steep hillsides, there are cliffs. It is a scary road. Kyle was telling me that he's got this GoPro camera footage of him on a bike traveling down this road. That sounds crazy, is what that sounds like to me. But he lived to tell about it. And he was with us in our 825 service. It is tragic that that many people died on that path. It's tragic that it is that scary and that dangerous. But it is not true that it is a 100% fatality rate on that path. Yes, lives were lost, hundreds of them, but thousands weren't. Millions 
travel those roads and have traveled those roads and live to tell about it. But there is a path that always leads to the way to death. There, there is a path that has a 100% fatality rate for those who choose to travel down it. There is the way to death. My question to you is, what road are you choosing to travel down? Are you choosing to travel down the broad road or the narrow road? Are you choosing to travel down the road of God's will or my will for my life? Are you choosing to choose to travel down the road of God's truth or my opinion? Are you choosing to travel down the road of wherever you lead, I will go? Are you choosing to travel down my will, my desire, where I want to go is where I will go. What road are you choosing to travel down? How you answer that question makes all the difference for today, and it makes every difference for the tomorrows to come in our eternity. Let us pray. Gracious God, we come to you this morning and we feel this passage. We don't just read these words, but we feel the pathos of these words. We feel the clarity of these words. It, it, it's either words that we will reject or submit to. And even how we read this passage as an indication of what road we desire to choose to travel down. Will we overthrow this teaching? We say it's antiquated. It's out of step. Or will we bow before it and live under it? What road will we choose to travel? I pray for that person who is a father here that is choosing the broad road. And, and already he can see the crack lines of destructive consequences for his own children, in his marriage, his work life. I pray that today he would bow on his knees on the road that leads to destruction and say, God, forgive me. Today I choose to travel your road, not my road. I pray for that person today that is choosing to travel down the road of disbelief, that today would be the day that they would bow upon that road and say, God, today I believe, I trust, I follow. I pray for the person who's traveling down the broad road feeling that they're paving their security with all their religious doing and activity, that they, we, would bow before you and choose to rest in your finished work. What road will we, God, choose to travel by? Give us through your Holy Spirit the eyes to see, the ears to hear. In your name we pray.